Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Good to be here. Um, so I know uh, over this last uh, months, and we've uh, got this new building, and we've gone through the pandemic. There are probably a lot of folks here uh, that haven't seen me before. So my name is Jeff, Jeff Williams. Uh, my wife and I have been coming to Trinity for the last 10 years since we moved uh, up here from Lancashire, uh, where I worked as a pastor and I was a counsellor uh, in a primary care mental health team uh, in Blackburn in East Lancashire. And my wife, Tricia, uh, was uh, working as a counsellor in the same area as well. Trish now manages the counselling service at Abertay University, uh, and I work as a, a chaplain. Now, we're doing this series on a series that involves uh, testimonies of members of the congregation. And um, it, because I don't preach regularly, I, I was given the passage. It's always really interesting when somebody gives you a passage and then they tell you what they want you to get from it. Because you then feel like you're trying to squeeze something. You know, I don't know, Jack, you probably had that experience. You know, it, it ha happens all the time. So at first I was like, I have to admit, I was a little bit picked off with you guys. Who chose the passage? I was like, what on earth am I going to do with this to get that out of it? But actually, I just decided, you know, this is a, the rebellious bit of me. I just decided, oh, hang it. I'm going to completely ignore them. And I'm going to just do with the passage what God leads me to. And do you know what? It actually took me in the direction that you guys had suggested. But I think it, from your side, it was probably an accident. Uh, <laughs> Because they're going to kneecap me later. But anyway, we'll see how we get on. Anyway, so this morning, my message is called The Ties That Bind. The Ties That Bind. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. And after I've preached, we're then going to have Emma come up, who's going to give a word of testimony. And I'm thinking that this will probably dovetail quite nicely. So just to say, I don't know what it's like for you on a Sunday morning, there are all sorts of different translations of the Bible that we can be sitting with. Uh, this morning, I've given you a translation that, that really tries to keep it as literal as possible to what the words were that, that, that are there. And I think that is going to help us, and we'll see where we go. So Luke 13, 10 to 17. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had a spirit of weakness for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you have been set free from your weakness. And then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Now indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath go and untie your ox or your donkey from a stall and lead it out to give water to it? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And when he said this, all his opponents were shamed. But the people were rejoicing at all of the glorious things that he was doing. Amen. Uh, I don't know if any of you managed to uh, watch this Oscar-winning film uh, a couple of years back. 
12 years a slave. The lead actor, by the way, is British, and um, we're watching him in a TV series at the minute. I'm going to have a go at trying to say what his name is. Chiwetel Ejiofor. I think that's how you say it. Somebody can tell me if I got it wrong. Chiwetel Ejiofor. Anyway, the film is called 12 Years a Slave, and it's based on a book by a black American called Solomon Northrup, who was a businessman and a professional violinist in the northern states of America. But one day, after having a meal with some businessmen, he was kidnapped, transported secretly down to Louisiana, and enslaved down there for the next 12 years, leaving behind his wife and children, who themselves ended up being split up and had to become servants as a result of what happened. The story is amazing. It's a pretty brutal story, I have to say. If you do watch it, um, it's not an easy watch. 12 years a slave. So this morning, we have a similar story. Not 12 years a slave, but 18 years a slave. A woman who was a child of God, a member of the local congregation at the church of the day in their synagogue, who one day was struck down and for the next 18 years lived her life in bondage, enslaved to the condition that she found herself in. And that's what the story we're going to look at today. Now, on the surface, this might appear like it's a simple healing. One of the interesting things is that this story is written by Luke. And Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. And we often find in a lot of the parts of the gospel and acts that he writes, there are all sorts of details that come up about sickness. So we're going to learn a bit more about this lady's condition. But Luke reveals that there is more than just the sickness going on under the surface than you might see at a first reading. And that's what we're going to think about. So we're going to think about three different types of bondage, three different types of ways of being bound up or enslaved that Jesus wants to set us free from. So the first of those is that this woman was bound by sickness. It tells us in verse 11 that she had this weakness for 18 years. Now, there's a, that word there can be translated in all sorts of different ways, uh, a weakness, affliction. I think the NIV actually uses the word crippled, which isn't brilliant because the, word, the, the, the lady could still walk about. It tells us then that she was bent over and it specifically says she didn't even have the power to lift herself up at all. So it might be that she had some sort of neurological condition, uh, muscle wastage. It might have been a problem with the spine. But whatever it was, this lady was bound by this condition and she'd been like this for 18 years. She was a member of the congregation and would come every Saturday, every Sabbath to worship with her neighbours and with her friends. And this is how she would come. Now it then tells us that while Jesus was there teaching, he looks out at the congregation in this synagogue and it says he sees her. And at that point he stops and he calls her over. And then he says something amazing. And it's something mind-blowing. He says... Woman, you have been set free. Now, when I was reading the NIV, I think it says actually there, it says uh, you are set free. But actually, this is 
it, and this is really, really important, this story. When Jesus says this, he doesn't say it in the present tense, you are free, like he's just proclaimed it and then it happens. He says to her, you have been set free. Now, the big question there when you hear Jesus' words is, hang on a minute, when did that happen? I mean, there she is, bent over, doubled up. He calls her forward. Everybody's looking at her and they're thinking, I can't see any difference. And Jesus says, you have been set free. Now, if we were anywhere else in the Gospels, looking at other stories of healings, there are all things. We could come up with a list of stuff that Jesus did to set people free. But when we look here, it looks like, what, hang on a minute, what did he actually do? So when you look at the text and you look back, you realize that the one thing he had just been doing was teaching in the synagogue. Jesus was preaching and teaching. And while he was preaching and teaching the truth to them about God, during the preaching, she's set free. The interesting thing is she doesn't realize she's been set free until Jesus tells her. What really strikes me, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, is that people can be set free from all sorts of things, and we're going to look at some of that other things in a few minutes, but just set free while the word of God is being preached. Like while you're just sat there on a Sunday, God can set you free, and you might not have even realized it. Paul tells us in Romans 12 too, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that our minds are the battleground for the Holy Spirit and the powers of darkness, that when God changes the way we think about things and how we see things, that brings about dramatic other changes in our lives. So Jesus tells the woman, you've already been set free. Now, the interesting thing is clearly when she comes forward bent over double, it doesn't look like she's been set free. She doesn't walk in that freedom, the freedom that Jesus has told her she's already got, until she realizes she's free. And then Jesus goes and lays his hands on her. And it tells us that as soon as he put his hands on her, she straightened up. It's an amazing thing. Imagine just being able to see that happening there before her. She didn't walk in that freedom until she realized it and until Jesus laid on hands. A couple of things that might seem quite subtle here I think are important. First thing is this, the two things happened. Jesus freed her first and then he healed her because two things were going on. She had sickness and she was bound. She was trapped. Whatever condition, physical, spiritual, mental, she had, she had that weakness in her life, but more than that, she was bound. And it goes on to tell us who she was bound by. Just imagine for a moment that you've been on holiday abroad in some sort of exotic part of the world, and then you get kidnapped, kidnapped for a ransom. You're tied up, you're held in a cell in a dark room, and you haven't got a clue what is going to happen to you. Meanwhile, the British authorities somewhere else across the world, decide that they're going to send some special forces, maybe the SAS in, to get you, to come and raid the place and set you free. And so there you are, sat in the darkness, tied up in a cell one night, and you hear gunfire and all sorts of stuff going off. And then the door is kicked in. Your hands are tied behind your back. 
so tight that your hands have gone numb, you can't feel a thing. Somebody behind you makes a strange noise and then stands up and says to you, you're free, you're free. We've just cut the ties to your hands. Don't just sit there, are you coming? So you get up and you stand up and you pull your hands forward and you realize you have been set free. And then the soldier says to you, are you really just gonna stay here or are we gonna go? And off you go. Imagine how ludicrous it would be if you decided in that situation you were just gonna stay sat there with your hands behind your back. It would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Crazy. You see, for this woman, it wasn't enough that everything had been done to set her free, it needed her to stand in that freedom and then to go and walk in that freedom. There was two dimensions of this healing going on here. So when we read this, it's amazing at the end of this, she's so delighted and happy, clearly after 18 years of being living a life like this, and it tells us that her response is to praise God, is to rejoice and give glory to God. Isn't that fantastic to be able to be in a position to do that? Standing up straight, healed, rescued, delivered. So there we go. That could just be the story, over and done with. But I wonder, you know, whether there is more going on here than meets the eye. I don't know about you, I really love watching movies. If, we've, if I've got home of a, a weekday, I, I just want to go home, put, put my feet up, have a glass of Pepsi Max or whatever, and sit and watch a movie. I love watching movies. Um, I used to keep a book when I was down in Preston, where I worked as a pastor, a, a, a list of every movie I'd ever watched, and I used to score them. Uh, the book, the problem was the book got so big, and I would keep showing it to people. Trish said, Trish, Jeff, it looks like you're not working. And, and all you're ever doing is watching movies, so I think you should stop. So the joy got taken out of that, that little book. I probably need ministry for this, I really do. But, so that I never filled the book in anymore. It's, it, the, the book is sitting around somewhere, and it, it stops around something like 2002. So I missed all the wonderful movies. When you get to the end of a movie, my, some of my favorite movies are the Lord of the Rings ones, I love not just watching the movie, I like watching the special features. I want to go behind the scenes and how did they do that? Uh, one of the things I really like as well is that they show you the deleted scenes, all the things they could have put in the movie. And I don't know about you, sometimes I watch a film and I'm completely confused by it. And then you go and watch the, film, watch the special features. They show you a deleted scene and you're sitting there going, why didn't they put that in the movie? I would have understood it then. Now, what I want to say to you here is, we've got the special features built into the movie here, all right? Just so we don't get confused about what's really going on, Luke wants to show us, as he teaches about sickness, as a doctor, more about what is going on behind the scenes, because he moves away from being bound by sickness to speaking about being bound by Satan. Some of you will have noticed, because I didn't put the emphasis on it at the beginning, that it doesn't just say that this woman has had this weakness that doubles her up for 18 years. It actually says that this is a woman with a spirit of weakness, which is really interesting. It doesn't use the word demon or evil spirit or unclean spirit just there. 
And there are only two other occasions in the New Testament where this type of thing is, 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 is found. There's one of them um, where there is uh, somebody with a deaf and mute spirit. And in that particular case, Jesus does an exorcism. There is another situation uh, with women who had a spirit with weakness. And they, it doesn't say that an exorcism takes place there. It says they were cured. So this woman has a spirit of weakness, and she's had this for 18 years. She's under, even though she's a member of the people of God, a Jewish woman, even though she's in holy space, the synagogue, part of the bondage of her life, part of what has got her trapped is this demonic power that is having this influence to create this physical weakness in her life. Now, one of the things that's really interesting here is you may not know this. If somebody had a demon, an evil spirit, an unclean spirit, they were not allowed to be in a holy space. So people who were demonized, demon-possessed, anybody in this type of condition, if anybody knew that this was the case, they wouldn't have been allowed in the synagogue and they wouldn't have been allowed in the temple. What does that tell us? It tells us that probably nobody realized that there was a spiritual power at work behind this woman's physical condition. Anyway, Jesus clearly perceives that that is the case, that there's something going on. So there's something demonic there. But also goes on, and Jesus says that this woman has been kept bound by Satan for 18 long years. Now, the devil, uh, Satan in the New Testament generally has two main names that we use to describe him, Satan and the devil. Satan means an opponent or an adversary, and the word devil means an accuser. So this, the character of, the, of Satan here is an opponent accuser. And I'm putting that in there because I think it's really helpful for us to understand some of the dynamics of what was going on, not just for this woman, but for the people around because Satan isn't the only one acting as an opponent or as an accuser in this story. There are other characters doing the same job as well. So it's important just to keep that phrase, opponent accuser, here. So the woman does not just have a sickness, a physical weakness. It's not just that she's bent over and doesn't have the strength to stand up straight. Jesus tells us there's more. She is bound spiritually here. Now, there are two ways of understanding this. And I'm going somewhere you might not have heard uh, preached on with this passage, so I'll explain why. If you, if you just take it literally and hear Jesus saying that this woman has been bound, we, we tend to think of things like being tied up, being chained up. That's the literal way of reading this. But in the New Testament, that word bind had another meaning. And you'll see that other meaning in somewhere like Matthew 16, where Jesus says to the disciples, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And that meaning isn't about being chained up. It is a more technical phrase. It's more like a courtroom phrase. Being declared prohibited or unlawful. Okay. And what I want to suggest to you is that there's two dimensions going on here in this woman's life. Yes, she's chained up spiritually, but the mechanics of that being chained up 
are that Satan is prohibiting or making unlawful, restricting her underneath the surface in her life. Now, the reason I think that's important is because it's somebody that's doing this to her. It isn't just that she is chained up. It's that Satan is doing this to her. We're seeing the spiritual mechanics of what being bound means. And I'll describe a bit more uh, how that works in just a second. So what we've got here is Satan binding her. She's got the weakness, but more than that, Satan is binding her. He is declaring it is prohibited and unlawful for her to do and to be who God wants her to be. Okay, he's put that restriction and that limitation on her. Almost imagine that being processed inside your head. That's it. You're going to be like this for life. You can't do anything. Nobody will want you anymore. You'll never be free. You're just weak now. It's Satan's work of bondage that works in our thought processes, in our minds, that brings people into states of despair and depression and condemnation. She is bound spiritually through Satan and through this demonic power, but that has, that has worked out through her mental state. In her mind, she's got all these opposition accusations coming from Satan, but they're coming from other places too. Now, for all of us in human beings, I think we'll recognize that, that you know, there's, there's how we think about ourselves, our own thought life, and then there's how other people treat us and the things that they tell about us. We, many of us, have been influenced positively or negatively by how we've been brought up. And many people will be left in bondage by some of the, some of the, the really difficult experiences they go through earlier in their life and through the things that other people say. So there's the things that we say to ourselves, there's the things that Satan puts in our head to say about ourselves, and then there are voices of the people around us. So there are spiritual dimensions to our mental health, to our beliefs, and to our thoughts. This woman had been left bound, condemned. Really, in many ways, her life seemed of little worth. And opposition and accusation was all around her. That's who Satan was. But it was also part of the environment in the church that she was at, in the synagogue. And that came from the attitudes and the actions of other people, the religious leaders. And it was manifested in such a ridiculous, crazy way in that there was even opposition that wouldn't let her be healed on the Sabbath. Is that not bonkers? Imagine coming to church and being told, no, healing's not on the timetable here on Sundays. You know, we, we don't do that. Uh, come back another day. Yeah, but you don't have services the other six days. Oh, well, never mind. You won't be able to get healed then, will you? You know, isn't it bonkers that there was that going on? No wonder that it took 18 years of going to church. But this woman was set free by Jesus. Do you know what's really, really in interesting here is we've been told that, that she has this, this spirit, there's a, a, a demon has 
operating as part of the picture here. Despite the involvement of the demon and of Satan, Jesus didn't need to do an exorcism. It's a really it's, this is a really interesting story in the New Testament because an exorcism never takes place, yet the demon gets kicked out. It gets kicked out by the power of the teaching of Jesus. I wonder if you'd ever even imagined or thought that it was possible on a Sunday when you come in here and you're listening to Pastor Ian that somebody can be delivered of a demonic power simply by hearing the word of God. Yes, it happens. Yes, it can. It's here in the text. One of the things that we do realize, though, is it's entirely possible for that to happen, and you haven't even cottoned on that it happens. This woman needed a revelation. She needed to be told, you're free now. You're free. You don't have to live the way you have been for the last 18 years. Folks, we need to be told that we are free now that we don't have to live the lives that we've been living for the last 18, 20, 30 years. Previously, it said the woman had no power. Jesus lays his hands on her, and suddenly she has the power to lift herself up straight. God gives us the power to live the life that he set us free for. So folks, if you're still living an old life, you're missing the fact that Jesus has already done everything to set you free. Teaching the kingdom of God does the job. Amazing. If God is for you, says Paul, then who can be against you? This woman is bound by Satan. Her opponent, Satan, isn't for you. He's against you. But God is on the other side. He is the one with the power. So besides a physical healing here, this woman is able to receive a mental and spiritual freedom that she has not known before. Because the demon and Satan have had their backsides kicked by God. What bound her? Opposition, accusation, judgment, failure, physical weakness. She's free. The demon no longer has authority over her body. She's now free. Now she's got the power to stand straight. Satan's authority to keep her bound up as, an, as her opponent and accuser has been overridden by the authority of Jesus. You do not have to live a life under the bondage of being accused and opposed spiritually anymore. Jesus sets you free. That's what he wants for you to be able to live a life free from all those things. Now, it sort of begs the question, doesn't it? Now that we've seen this woman who was doubled up, had a demon and was bound by Satan, stand straight and set free, it begs the question, who in this story is really bound? Because we've got this woman here celebrating in, in the synagogue and she's jumping around and she's free and the people are laughing and, and rejoicing, they're delighted. Who's really bound? Well, it's these guys, isn't it? Because there are people here in this story who are not bound by, by sickness, not bound directly in any way by Satan. They are bound instead by self-righteousness. Do you know, it tells us that while everybody else was, was joyful, 
The religious leader was indignant. He was angry. What on earth? How? How? How is that possible? To see somebody set free, somebody delivered and healed, and not be joyful. These guys were misery merchants, weren't they? Any, any misery merchants here this morning? What, only me? You, you've got a misery merchant there? That's, you do, right? Okay, so there's a couple of us. All right, I, I'm, I'm going to leave today and somebody's going to say to me, Jeff, that was a great service. And I'm going to go, was it? Did you see Jack? He's got no socks on. What the heck is that all about? All right. What about Ian? Ian, have you, did you see? It was a great, you think it was a great service? Did you see Ian? His pants are way too tight. What? Now, I could go on. We could go on, couldn't we here? Folks, you will find something to be miserable about if you want to find something to be miserable about. I didn't like the songs. The service was too long. The sermon was too short. The sermon was way too long. Whatever. It is entirely possible for us to be aggrieved and indignant, be misery merchants. And you know what? When that happens, we miss out on glorifying God. We lose the ability to just be able to be free to give God glory and praise. Folks, if you're ever sitting here feeling miserable about something that's happening in the service... Just, just shut your eyes and start praising God. You need the antidote is, God, is the Lord. The antidote is the Lord. We could all find something to moan and complain about, okay? And, and some of it might be legitimate. We're human. There's tons of us in here. We like different things and we like them different ways. See, these guys were really control freaks. They wanted it their way at their time. Imagine this. Isn't it ridiculous? You know, why were they not happy about the woman being healed? Because it was on the wrong day. That's just astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. Completely, completely bonkers. So why? The obvious question then is, well, why haven't they healed her already? After 18 years of six-day weeks, they could have done. So Jesus says to them, why shangle them in it? He says, why shouldn't this woman be set free on the Sabbath? From what back? Why shouldn't her? And of course, the point really is that these people are missing the point of what the Sabbath day, which was for them at that time a Saturday, it was a day of rest. Their motivation behind the scenes was legalism. You know, we've got a list of all these things that you cannot do on the Sabbath. And just to be honest, I, you may well have come from church backgrounds where we've had that as well, about all the things that you couldn't do and we've missed the joy of what you can do, of what you're free to do. They were missing the spirit of the Sabbath. But more than that, remember Jesus' words in Matthew 11? He says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And you will find rest for your souls. Do you know that the Sabbath day law is the only one of the Ten Commandments not reiterated in the New Testament? Do you know why? It's because Jesus is the Sabbath. He fulfills the Sabbath in himself. When you come to Jesus, you get rest. You get recovery from the weights and the burdens that other people put upon you. Free. Free at last. 
So wherever Jesus is, you find the Sabbath and rest for your soul. So Jesus lifts off the burdens of religion and guilt and condemnation from people's lives. So back one there. Sorry, I'm going the wrong way. I am definitely going the wrong way. Sorry about this. Right, there we go. So Jesus then... By this point, you sense that really Jesus is pretty cheesed off with these guys. He's, he's really not happy, so he calls them hypocrites. Hypocrites, he says. He says, this is absolutely ridiculous. And this is what he says to them. He says, you'll set free your donkey, but you won't set free one of God's children. How bonkers is that? And of course, it is bonkers, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. And that's, I guess, part of the the hypocrisy of legalism. That it sets up all sorts of little laws and rules about what you can and can't do, and there's no internal consistency to any of it, but it's then used to accuse people and blame people and separate people into who's the good guys, who are the bad guys. But you know that word hypocrites, what it literally means is actors. So instead of Jesus just saying to them, oh, you're hypocrites, he's saying to them, you're just a bunch of actors. You know, you come here and you do all of this stuff in the synagogue, but you've just got a pretend faith. It's just an act. It's a performance. You're all focused on what the outside looks like, but you're not thinking about who you are on the inside. And of course, that means that hypocrites, actors, are leading a double life. Now, let me say to you that for all people of religion and for people of faith, and that includes us here too, one of the biggest temptations in our lives is that of living a double life, of hypocrisy, of essentially hiding things about who we are from everybody else. Now, I'll come to this first now, I think, because I was going to use it later. James says in James 5, Confess, and I think this is amazing, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other, right? Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. Do you know why? Can anybody remember what comes next? So that you may be healed. Confess your sins so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to to, to one another, not to a priest, to one another. Instead of lives where we're being religious and putting on a performance and looking like everything's right, but living a double life, not showing anybody who we really are, being involved in stuff we really shouldn't be involved in, in hiding like that, we're effectively being actors, living a double life. And the antidote to that instead is the opposite. It's radical openness and honesty, brothers and sisters in Christ. Confess your sins. Why? Because did you know that when you do that, that brings about healing in our lives? And that doesn't mean that every condition, every health condition, every mental health condition is connected to this. But what it does show is that there is a big connection between our physical health, our mental health, and our spiritual health health. Jesus says, these religious leaders are actors. And then more than that, they're accusers. 
They'll go around being really self-righteous, but actually accusing other people. And when they do that, when they accuse, think about it, they're actually doing the devil's work. Who's the devil? The accuser. Who is Satan? The opponent. So religious people here are setting themselves up not to see people set free, but to do the exact opposite. And Jesus says in Matthew 23, he says they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. This is the, such a sad part of this. These religious leaders, what they say makes people feel the weight of being judged, feel guilty, feel weak, feel anxious, and feel depressed. What we say to one another, how we treat one another in the house of God can have an impact on the mental and spiritual health of our brothers and sisters around us. I, you know, I, I've heard, look, I, I've said really crass things, which I then really regret. Has, has anybody here ever done that? Yeah, there's, a, there's probably about 10 of you which means the rest of you are amazing. <laughs> amazing. Sometimes we do it because we don't know what to say. Sometimes we do it just because we're really not thinking. You know, the bottom line is we probably don't even realize the impact what we've said has had on somebody. But if you've ever been on the receiving end, that you know that what happens inside is this great heavy weight just drops from your heart to your feet that pulls your shoulders and head down, that just makes you feel somehow less worth before God, like a failure, like I'm never going to make it, like God really wouldn't want to love me. Why would anybody want to be with me? All of these sorts of things start coming into your head and drag and pull you down as a weight. And it's such a sad thing that that spiritual impact can then go on and have a mental health impact too. The church, you know, is called to be a radical community of honest confession, not of opposition and accusation. You know, if we did James 5, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed, the church would be transformed. Not just this church, every church. It's just one of those things that we just don't do. We don't. We've not got, now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that, you know, next Sunday you come in uh, and you start walking around every single row telling everybody what you did when you got home last Sunday. <laughs> or you start going up and telling everybody about how you got caught by a speed camera three times in one afternoon on the Monday uh, coming back from work. I mean, there's all sorts of things we could, right? So we're not saying you tell it to everybody, but clearly what it's saying is, in a discipleship context, we should have relationships around us where we are able to be honest with those groups of brothers and sisters. So that's what happened in Jesus' group of disciples with the 12. They were doing that honest confession of sins. And because they were doing it there as a group, and that's what I would suggest, it's in our small groups probably that that type of, of, of way of being you know, really, really honest it is going to be of most effect and most help. The bottom line is that Jesus wants to set us free, but we have a choice. 
For all of us, we can live in hypocrisy and lead the double life. Or we can come into a new place like this woman. A woman who was doubled up. She was doubled up in a really bad way. But once she met Jesus, she was doubled up in a whole brand new way because then it was her in the Lord. Then it was her in Jesus. So I just want to say to you, you can finish today and, and lead a double life or you can live a doubled up life with you and Jesus. An encounter with Jesus where you realize and discover the amazing wonders of what it means to have been free. Do you know what I love here? It's just the joy that this scene finishes with. It says just the whole congregate, the people in, in the synagogue were just rejoicing. Well, most of them were, except the misery merchants. Um, but I wonder when the last time a synagogue there had ever been filled of people just rejoicing. And the leaders felt completely out of it. <laughs> Amazing. What was going on here was more than a simple physical healing. This woman had been bound by Satan by a demonic power. But more than that, she had been bound by opposition and accusation that came from all of the religious people around her and it shaped how she thought and saw things. And it touch, took a touch from the king to see her set free. Let's just bow our heads for a moment, shall we? Let's just pray. Our loving God, Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you this morning for the amazing power of your presence. I'm sure most of us here would just love to have been there 2,000 years ago and to, to see you physically, Lord Jesus, right there in front of us, to go up to you and, and, and have a chat and have a, have, a get, have a hug from you. It would have been so amazing to see and hear you saying something really specific to us there face to face. And we want to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here this morning. That you are with us. That you're here in this building, but more than that, Lord, you're here in our hearts. And you're touching our soul and spirit. And you're setting our minds free. And you're releasing us from the powers of darkness. Father, we just say to you that as a church, we want to be a church that sees people set free. Lord, we don't want to be a church of hypocrisy and double lives. We want to be a church where we see joy and freedom and healing and recovery, all because, not because we're amazing, Lord, but because you are. Because your power, your freedom is being ministered into the lives of ordinary, everyday people. Lord, we want to say to you that we're not all in a great place. Some of us are struggling. Some of us have had difficult stuff. Some of us, Lord, have still got stuff that's been going in us for years. Lord, we just say to you, teach us about your freedom. Open our eyes to see that you have set us free. Lord, put your hands upon us. Give us the power to stand straight and to walk, and to live for you. We pray in Jesus' name.